It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. For those of you who are fans of the Engage in Truth broadcast, you'll recognize that phrase as the familiar intro to Pastor John Bornstein. This is Steve Ford standing in for John today. Unfortunately, Pastor John, as he's lovely known by his congregants, has not been feeling really well. Thankfully, as scripture says, this sickness is not unto death, and he will be returning to us soon. I'd like to open in prayer today. Abba Father, I want to thank you for my brother John Bornstein and pray for your blessing and healing over he and his family. I pray that you will restore him to complete health and that you will renew his mind and spirit and work all things in this realm and the spiritual realm together for his good. Open my mind, Father, and strengthen my voice to speak your words today. May everything that is spoken be an act of worship to you and to your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. John and I have been recording this show together for about a year now, and we look forward each week to our time together with you. You may have heard us mention that our collaboration started by meeting breakfast at IHOP. Our time together, sharing our love for Jesus Christ and his word, would fly by, And before we knew it, we were late for our appointments and we were flying out the door. John is a true doulos, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He has a great shepherd's heart. If any of you are looking for a new church fellowship, I would strongly encourage you to prayerfully give Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley a try. We've been discussing spiritual warfare, and I encourage you to go back and listen to any of the prior broadcasts in this series that you may have missed. During our last episode, we saw the pride of Satan in Isaiah 14. He is quoted as saying, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. Pastor John pointed out that in two verses, we hear the words, I will, literally, five times. It sounds a bit like a skipping record for those of you old enough to remember what that is. Next, in Genesis 3, we hear the pride of Satan again in the Garden of Eden. This time, he is tempting Adam and Eve, telling them that they will be like God, knowing good and evil. Once again, we see the sin of pride. Here it's that we as mere humans can, apart from God, somehow be like God. It's preposterous. Jesus tells us in this battle with Satan that there is no middle ground. We talked about that last show. We are either for Jesus or against him. In Matthew 12, 30, we read, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. During this program, three things should become clear. That there is a spiritual realm that we are impacted by evil from that spiritual realm, and what we can do about it. That there is a spiritual realm, that we are impacted by evil from that spiritual realm, and what we can do about it. We will repeat some things from last episode that I think just bear repeating, but in order to develop the idea further about there being both physical and spiritual realms, I'd like to take a look at the 1999 movie The Matrix. It was the first installment in a whole series of films that took the movie going world by storm. It depicted a dystopian future in which humanity is unknowingly trapped inside a simulated reality run by machines. The protagonist, Thomas Anderson, a computer hacker under the alias Neo, uncovers the truth. He joins with others who have been freed from the false reality of the Matrix and rebellion against the machines. In this Hollywood clash of two realities, Neo is given the opportunity to take either a red pill and know the truth, as Jesus said, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few, or a blue pill and continue to live in the experience of a false reality 
The gate is wide, the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. A friend of mine experienced this reality some years ago. Even though growing up he had attended church regularly and accepted Christ as his Savior, he was still co-opted by our culture. It's so easy to happen. Without realizing it, he believed the lie, the simulated reality that for life to have meaning, to experience life at its fullest, he needed to achieve material success and status. So off he went. He was accepted into a respected medical school, followed by a respected residency program. He landed a job in the state of his dreams, Colorado. He moved here after falling in love with the Rocky Mountains, watching a river runs through it, for any of those who can, who can remember that movie. The rest, as they say, is history. Not long afterwards, he established an independent medical practice, and within three years, he and his wife went from not being sure whether they could afford the monthly mortgage payments on their new house with their two young children to being able to completely pay off that mortgage. He was only 39 years old. His medical practice boomed beyond all reason. He had the house, the car, the country club membership, the kids in private school. You get the picture, he was making big money, more than he'd ever dreamed, and he says he could dream pretty big. He also relates that he had plenty of arrogance to go along with this money. His comeuppance by God was blessedly already in the works. It's been aptly said that God does love us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. During this time, he learned some things about money. All money can do, he says, is provide NSO, NSO. Making a little money allows you to cover the necessities like food and utilities, that sort of thing. Making more provides a sense of security. If something breaks down, you can fix it or replace it. Making even more provides opportunities, vacations and the like. But our culture, the world system, some might say, had lied. And even though he gave plenty of money to the church and charity, he still felt no peace, no sense of fulfillment. He says he was duped. That was his red pill moment. In The Matrix, at least one character regrets knowing the truth and longs for the blissful ignorance of the blue pill. On some level, I understand that. It can sometimes be easier to believe the lie. There are other good examples in this spiritual and physical duality in literature as well. One is the book, This Present Darkness. This is a Christian novel written by Frank Peretti. He tells a fictional account of angels, demons, spiritual warfare, and the power of prayer as demons and angels struggle for control of the citizens of a small town named Ashton. It sold in excess of 2.5 million copies worldwide. Its title comes from Ephesians 6.12, For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's a fictional account, but it's a very, very interesting read. Another author is that C.S. Lewis, his well-known book, The Screwtape Letters. In this story, fictional characters are used to address temptation and resistance to it. The story takes the form of a series of letters from a senior demon named Screwtape to his nephew Wormwood, a junior tempter. The uncle mentors the nephew in his responsibility of securing the damnation of a poor British man known only as the patient. It illustrates a typical human life with all its temptations and failings, but seen from the devil's point of view. C.S. Lewis, of course, is brilliant, and his story helps to open our eyes to the possibilities of the spiritual realm. As we look further on, we see other aspects of this duality coming from uh, not only movies and books, but we also have to look at Scripture itself and say, what does Scripture tell us about this dual 
spiritual versus physical reality. Do we have any evidence in scripture that this dual reality exists? After all, we are told in Deuteronomy 29.29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of the law. So what does scripture tell us? Last episode, we talked about the book of Job giving us a rare glimpse into heaven. We hear a conversation between God and Satan and hear of Satan's tireless efforts to destroy Job. In 2 Corinthians 12.2.4, the Apostle Paul talks about an experience with the spiritual realm that he had. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. In Mark 5, we have the words of Jesus addressing the demoniac at the tombs. We are told that when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, crying out with a loud voice. He said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. How about Second Kings 6, 15-17, Elisha's servant? When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots, full of fire. And lastly, one of my favorites, described as Daniel's terrifying vision of a man from Daniel 10. In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for three full weeks. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. The men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was there, and the kings of Persia came to make you understand what is to happen to people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. When I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I tell you, what is inscribed in the book of truth? There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Abraham Kuyper was a brilliant journalist at the end of the 19th, early 20th century. He was also a theologian and a prime minister of the Netherlands, wrote, If once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range, that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth 
would seem by comparison a mere game. Not here, but up there. That is where the real conflict is waged. Our earthly struggle drones in its backlash. I take comfort in the fact that Daniel's prayer was heard immediately. Immediately in heaven, they were made aware of what Daniel's concerns were. But the angel was delayed for 21 days. What is that all about? We see here that Daniel's prayers, and on some level our prayers, can influence the spiritual realm. How many times do we say in an Eeyore sort of voice, sort of a last resort, well, I guess all we can do is pray. We need to remember prayer is vital. Prayer is doing battle. Prayer is a necessity. Not only does prayer affect change in the spiritual realm, but also in the physical realm. Growing up, we had a family friend who had a plaque hanging in the kitchen that read, Why pray when you can worry? In Philippians 4, we are told, Do not be anxious about anything. How are we instructed to avoid being anxious? By prayer and supplication. The devil does not make a good person bad. He takes advantage of predispositions that already reside within us. In Romans 3.9, the Apostle Paul tells us no one is righteous. No, not one. We need to remember that Satan is very powerful, but he is not omniscient. He is not omnipotent. He is not omnipresent. We should not over or underestimate his strategies, but we should have confidence when we put on the full armor of God described in Ephesians 6. Tim Keller, the well-known American pastor and theologian, makes the point that willingness to acknowledge the influence of spirits and spiritual warfare can be influenced by culture. What may not be difficult to believe in in, say, Africa or Asia, can be a problem in the West. We may not want to believe that this is because these, or we may want to believe, I should say, that it's because these cultures are simplistic or naive. But by doing so, could we be guilty of just being culturally narrow? In addition, in the West, we don't, we don't like to use the term evil. Doing so implies moral absolutes. We would prefer to assign such behavior to natural causes, like psychological issues, or social issues, or even low self-esteem. Satan hates everything about God and tries to destroy what he loves. He tries to destroy God's Son. He's tried to destroy the Bride of Christ, the Church, for 2,000 years, both from the outside and the inside. In temptation and accusation, two of Satan's tools, we can find some details regarding how Satan used these against us. In temptation, we can have too high a view of ourselves. We can be in danger of underplaying God's holiness and overemphasizing his love. Once again, tools of Satan include number one, temptation, number two, accusation. In temptation, we can have too high a view of ourselves. We can be in danger of underplaying God's holiness and of overemphasizing his love. With accusations, we can have too low a view of ourselves. We can underplay God's love and overemphasize his holiness. So what do these tools of Satan look like in our day-to-day lives? First, let's take a look at how the tool of temptation goes to work on us. In his song, Slow Fade, Mark Hall of Casting Crowns writes, It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white turn to gray. 
thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. To drift away from fellowship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ can occur in virtually infinitesimal increments. For example, sleeping in instead of getting up early to spend time with Him in Scripture and in prayer, letting ourselves getting distracted during our day instead of maintaining our conversation with Him. We forget to ask His will and ask for His help. We watch the game or emphasize hobbies over our fellowship at church with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And just so you know, I'm saying all of these things to myself as well as to you. What are the other ways that we can be tempted? We can rationalize sin as a virtue. I'm not stingy. I'm just frugal. We can overstress the mercy of God, forgetting God's justice when we say, Nah, it's okay. God will forgive me. After all, we tell ourselves, we deserve it, and it won't hurt anybody. We can be tempted to focus on ourselves and our own desires instead of our day-to-day relationship with Jesus Christ. Next is accusation. We already saw this used by Satan against Job. How is accusation used against us in our lives? For one, we look at past sins we have committed, when instead we need to lock our eyes and our hearts on the saving work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Similarly, others may look at our sins and tell us they don't think we can be redeemed. But remember Hebrews 7.25, it reads, speaking of Jesus, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. There is only one unforgivable sin, and it is said that if you're worried about committing it, well, don't worry, you haven't. That sin is to harden your hearts against the calling of God to saving faith in His Son. Jesus Christ. And that is it. That alone. Also, knowing that our thoughts or actions fall short of God's standard, we may tell ourselves, a real Christian would never think that. A real Christian would never want that. Or a real Christian would never do that. We are not glorified yet, but we are being sanctified. Sometimes it may be helpful to look back and see just how far we have come walking together with Christ. Romans 5.8 tells us that God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knows we aren't perfect. In fact, he uses those imperfections to magnify his power and his love. When we repent, he is quick to forgive. When I stumble and repent, I like to think of Jesus being there with a loving smile, reaching down to give me a hand up, dusting me off as we head off again down down together, or I should say together down the road, I've imaged this and visualized this many times through the years. He knows I can be a knucklehead. After all, he made me. Now that we can better recognize these devices working against us, what can we do about it? For example, how do we fight temptation? First and foremost, as we have discussed, is the full armor of God. We need to immerse ourselves every day in God's Word, the Bible. This is the one offensive weapon in our arsenal, the sword of the Spirit. The rest of our armor is more defensive. When we are tempted, we are told that we will not be tempted with more than we can bear. We will be provided with a way out. Sometimes that may mean literally running out of a situation like Joseph with Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39. We can also fight temptation with our love for Christ, telling ourselves, He died for me. I don't want to grieve Him. Everything He asks me to do is for my own good. I won't do it. How about fighting accusation? 
we need to remind ourselves that we are completely loved and accepted by God. Through justification, Jesus took our sin on himself, and we are imputed with his righteousness. This is our standing before God, how he sees us. Romans 5, 16-18 tells us, The free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, Christ's sinless death on the cross and resurrection, leads to justification and life for all men. Our prayer should be, Give me wisdom, O God, to know when I am being attacked and how to fight it. In the end, and I hope you've come to see this through this broadcast and these series of broadcasts, it is really, it's really godlessness that opens us up to the incalculable spiritual damage that we can suffer. Our surest and safest option as God's children is simply to love Jesus sincerely and follow God's word with all our hearts. We don't have to be ignorant of the happenings in the spiritual realm, and we certainly do not have to be afraid. Walking with God in obedience to his word ensures that no spirit from the camp of the enemy will succeed in enticing and deceiving us into the path of destruction. Obedience is a powerful tool against the enemy. Rebellion, however, creates an open door for the enemy. Once again, our surest and safest option as children of God is simply to love Jesus sincerely, follow God's word with all our hearts. If you ever read My Utmost for His Highest in the words of Oswald Chambers, you will see that he continually, repeatedly emphasizes obedience and how important that is to a follower of Jesus Christ. That obedience needs to be one of our primary focuses as we live our lives in a loving way towards our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, crucified each day to ourselves, our self-sufficiency, our self-centeredness, loving, serving, and honoring Him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for becoming part of your creation, for dying on the cross for us and as us. May our lives honor you, and may anyone who has heard these words today that has not come into saving faith in Jesus Christ be saved. Amen. If there is anyone out there today who has not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, now is the time. We never know when this life is going to end. We live as if this life will last forever. We're blissfully ignorant as people around us pass away. We just continue to march on. But someday this life will come to an end, and someday you will stand before your God. Do you want to stand there naked before your God, dependent upon your own works and your own righteousness? or covered in the righteousness and saving grace of Jesus Christ. We look forward to Pastor John being fully recovered and back again for the show next week. Remember that you can listen to this broadcast again and others archived on the church website at calvaryfountain.com 
This show is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley with services Sunday at 8 and 10. May God bless all of you. Stay safe and stay well.